Earlier in our service, Pastor Dennis asked who you think the most famous athlete of all time is. But I want to ask you, who's your favorite athlete of all time? Or maybe do you have a favorite sports team? What I think is interesting is how fiercely devoted people get about their favorite athlete or their favorite team. They'll champion in that person wearing their jersey or they'll go around and say why they're better than so-and-so. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not a diehard sports fan. I don't necessarily have those teams that I know all the stats and facts about, but I do definitely enjoy going to a game and I have teams that I will cheer for over and above another team. And you can sure bet that I watched every episode of the Michael Jordan documentary that came out earlier this year, The Last Dance. But while we get fiercely devoted to this, what can happen is some interesting situations. I remember when I moved to the coast in 2008, uh, it was hockey season, and so a group of friends and I decided to head to a pub in Squamish to watch the game. As we sat there watching the game, I quickly realized I was the only person who was a fan of the Oilers. You have to know that I grew up in Edmonton in the early 90s, and so being there, we were still riding the high of Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier in the era where the Oilers were the greatest. And so I came and moved to the coast championing that team. Now, don't worry, uh, I've now switched and converted to uh, celebrating the Canucks, but for the sake of this story, you got to remember at the time, I was cheering for the Oilers. And so we're sitting there and we're watching the game and, you know, my friends are giving me a bit of a hard time, but we're having a great time. And the game, it's an exciting one. It's going back and forth and at the end, they have to go to shootout. And the shootout, it's, it's this stressful situation and no one seems to be making the shot. But then all of a sudden, one of the Oilers goes and he shoots and it goes top shelf and I erupt, Yeah! But I quickly realized I'm the only one celebrating. Everybody around me is dead quiet until one huge giant of a man turns around with a beer in one hand and a clenched fist in the other, and he says, you better sit down and shut up or you'll regret it. I mean, this was an intense scenario because when we're big fans of sports teams, we don't just celebrate them, but we defend them. We'll be able to talk about not just the stats, but just maybe other reasons why we like someone or some team over and above the other. And we will go head to head with our neighbors and friends, even strangers, about this sort of thing. But it is fun cheering for a team. It's not all bad. It's not all contests and, and hatred, but it's actually a lot of fun to cheer for our teams with our friends and, and to celebrate these sorts of things. Even if we're not into sports, we often celebrate and champion and, and, and rep some, whether it's a company or a band, you know, we have that favorite musician or that favorite brand that we just love to celebrate or post on Instagram about or whatever. We just are hardwired to celebrate. And I really think we are. We're, we're hardwired to celebrate, to celebrate and to promote things. We want to, to, to really get behind something and be excited about it. And I think this is something that is innately built within us. But it doesn't come from this idea of loving sports. It doesn't come from brands having good brand identity. But it actually comes to us from God. God hardwired us to worship him, to praise him, to bring him glory. 
And this idea of glory is what we're talking about today. Glory is to celebrate someone or something, to, to, to take note of their accomplishments, whether it's, it's a, a, something they've done or maybe just who they are or their beauty or just the fact that they just make us feel wonderful. To glorify someone then is to, to tell them that or tell other people that and to spend our times making sure that can happen. As we've been going through our series, The Five Solas, we've been looking at these different themes of things that God alone has done. But today, we come to sort of the climactic finish that tie them all together, and it all has to do with glory. We're looking at the phrase, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And we talk about the glory of God alone. What we're really saying is that all glory, all honor, all praise of all things belongs to God alone. And so if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to pull it out and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. And we're going to see how God deserves the glory, what his attitude is about it, because that's what we're building to through this whole series. So Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Here's what he says. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, from prison to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So here what we have is sort of a bit of a summary and a bit of a picture of what we've been talking about. Throughout this series, we've been looking at how Scripture leads us to understanding God, and it's our, our authority. We've talked about how through God's grace and through Him enabling us to have faith, we're able to be saved. And ultimately, we've looked at what the most important part of all that is, is not that we can have faith or even that there is grace, but the one alone who saves us, which is Christ. And here in this passage, we see this picture, this prophecy that God is giving to Isaiah to share with his people that Christ will come. Notice it says at the beginning, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Last week, we looked at solus Christus in Christ alone, and we looked at how that word Christ means the chosen one. And so here, God is foretelling his people about how he will bring himself glory, that he's going to send his son, Jesus, to be the chosen one who alone can save us. And this 
is how he longs to bring himself glory. He's going to bring himself forth to deal with all our sin and brokenness. Look at those verses where it talks about how there's people who are blind and people who are held in captivity and he wants to release them and set them free. This is God's heart. God's heart for us is that we would be in relationship with him. The problem being that we are in broken relationship with him. Because of our sin, because of the way that humanity has orchestrated itself, worshiping and seeking glory in ourselves and in other things, we are separated from God. And so in his great wisdom, in his great love, he sent his son to rescue us. And as I said, this is God's heart. Let's go back to verse 6 and 7. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God is a God who longs to be in relationship with his creation. And so he sends forth his servant, his chosen one. God the Father sends his son to rescue us, to open our eyes so we can see the reality of how we live, so he can set us free from the, the, the jails we've put ourselves in, seeking our own pleasure and desire, our own, what we think is wisdom. As, as we do that, we find ourselves in darkness. But God says, I don't want that from you, but I want you to be with me. This all comes right after verse 5, which talks about how incredible God is, where he says, uh, this is what the God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out on the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk into it. This all is why God deserves glory from us. It's why we should praise him and honor him. I mean, he stretched out the heavens. He created the earth. He gives breath and life to all of those of us who walk on this earth. And not only do we walk along this earth and stumble and end up in, in places where we shouldn't, but God then comes and he, he comes down to earth to rescue us. And because he is the only one who can do that, he is the only one who deserves the glory, honor, and praise that comes from us. And God wants us to really understand this. If we look at verse 8, he really drives this idea home. Because sometimes what happens is people say, you know what, I acknowledge God for this and that, but there's other things that I've done, or I'm not all that bad. I've done some good stuff, or there's these other things in my life that have been meaningful and important. And, and just in case we end up to be tempted to go there, in verse 8 we see that this is what God says. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. He says, don't you even think about praising something else. Don't praise yourself. Don't praise your idols, whether that's sports or otherwise. Instead, look to me and give me the honor that I deserve. Now, one of the things before we get into how do we do this, how do we actually live out a life that brings God's, God glory, is we have to understand that, that God doesn't need us to glorify him. God doesn't need anything from people that he has created. I mean, he in himself brings himself the glory that he needs. But what he invites us into 
is to allow us to express to him what he deserves. God doesn't need us to glorify him, but he deserves it. But also he invites us into this loving aspect of a relationship with him. I mean, think about the relationships that you have with people. If you have a relationship with someone where you show them all kinds of love and they never show you love in return, that's not a healthy relationship. Now, we don't give love to get love. We give love because that is what we should do. But a healthy relationship has this dynamic where one acknowledges the other and cares for the other. And and God has shown his great love for us. He's sent his son to die for us. He's rescued us. He's saved us. He continues to, to keep our world in balance. There's so much that he deserves to be acknowledged for. And so he invites us in to participate in a growing and healthy relationship with him by acknowledging him by thanking him, by praising him, by saying that to not just him, but to others as well. And that's what we see throughout Scripture. When we think about that all glory belongs to God alone, we we need to recognize that it's then us who get to bring it to him. But how? What does that look like? What does it mean for us to glorify? And I think one of the best places we can see that is in the book of 1 Corinthians. So in your Bible, just turn quickly to to 1 Corinthians, and there we see that there's all sorts of passages uh, that are contained within this book as the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And really what he's doing is he's dealing with this sort of Uh, A church that's got a good heart in one hand, but it's really messed up in the other. And as he writes through this book, he talks about how they need to come to a place individually and together as a group uh, where they make sense of who they are in Christ and how they are to work together to bring God glory. And so individually, there's a lot that we can participate in. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, in verse 19 and 20, we read this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so we have this teaching that the Apostle Paul brings that that makes us have to wrestle with even our identity and how we think about ourselves. Thinking about ourselves not just as our own, but as a purchased temple for God really changes even how we start to think about, how we start to go about glorifying him. I mean, how often do you think about the fact that God didn't just save your soul, but he saved all of you? That's an interesting thing that I've needed to think about and wrestle with in how I think about how I treat my body, how I go about using it in my day-to-day life. If this really is the temple, the place where God resides, then I need to treat it a whole lot different, and I need to really think about how I'm using it. And Paul takes this a little bit further, just a couple chapters over to the right in chapter 10. We see uh, that there's this wrestling through because the church is wrestling through this idea of what does it look like to have freedom? I mean, if we're set free by God, we should be able to do anything we want, right? Well, in chapter 10, verse 23, we see this. I have the right to do anything, you say. But Paul's response, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, 
But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And then he continues on down in verse 31, we read this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We see that Paul says, he says, you know what, we need to do everything for the glory of God. Everything we do with our bodies, everything we do with our minds, everything that goes on in our hearts, it should all be oriented towards making sure that God gets glory, honor, and praise. And we do this in part out of this loving relationship, but even in that last verse we see why does Paul do this? Not for his own good, but so that others might be saved. So what this means is to bring glory to God, it means giving the praise and honor that God deserves to him and to share that with others. And it means living, trusting lives that reflect his goodness. Let me say that again. Glorifying God is giving God the praise and honor he deserves and telling him, that's God, and others about how great God is. And it's about living, trusting lives that reflect his goodness. So in everything we do, we should be doing it for the glory of God, which means that in every place, in every space that we go throughout our lives, we should be coming in to share about God. The Christian life, it's a whole life. It's not a part life. God doesn't say, hey, just worship me on Sunday, but then go do whatever you want for the rest of the week. He says, no, I demand the glory alone. Don't go worship other things. Don't go giving those other things your full attention, but give that to me. He says, you can't just do church one day, but you do church every day because you are the temple in which the presence of God lives. When we receive Jesus by faith, we don't just get salvation for our souls one day, but the Holy Spirit actually comes to live within us, to work and be active and alive in and through our lives. We can't just say, thanks Jesus for saving me, and then go about using our body in a whole bunch of other ways. You know, I think a lot of us would probably wear our favorite jersey to work or to school, or when we went out and run errands. We have that favorite brand that we love to wear, and so we put it on as we go out because we want to to rep that brand. And we would go about having conversations about these things. If it's that game we watched, we'll, we'll talk about it with people at work and how good it was, or why our team was the best, or why our team happened to drop the ball, whatever it is. We'll go in other places and someone will say, well, who has the best coffee? And we'll say this brand and this is why and I like them over all the others. And we have no qualms about having those kind of conversations. But the question is, would you be that willing to talk about Jesus? Would you be that willing to live out the values of Christ and how he wants you to live? Would you be that willing to go around and talk about why he is greater than everything else. As followers of Jesus, we have to get above the level that we get for other bands, brands, and basketball teams. We have to get to a place where we celebrate God in every space of our lives so that we truly 
in everything we do, whether it's us eating or drinking or going to work or having a conversation at home or running an errand, that in all of those things, we're bringing glory to God. It's not about being weird or creepy or, or being this eccentric person who's always in your face, but it's about being a genuine, natural person who's honest about what God has done, who lives in, in real connection with him. And so the question that I would ask you is, are you doing that? Are you living in that way? In everything you do, do you do it for the glory of God? But let me tell you, as we glorify God, it, it's not just about pointing him out, pointing out to him something that he deserves, but there's so much more that goes on in the midst of this. In fact, the Bible tells us that other things are going on in, in a spiritual realm in a way that we can't see, that we're not aware of when we are just glorifying. We might not see it immediately, but it really happens. For instance, in James chapter 4, verse 8, we read this, come near to God and he will come near to you. As we worship God, as we draw closer to him, he draws closer to us. I've heard a lot of people say that they feel like God is really distant, that they don't feel a close connection, but then I wonder how often they are spending drawing close to him, honoring him, praising him, showing him their love in everything that they do. Scripture tells us that as we worship God, as we seek him, as we, as we praise him, that he comes closer to us. I found this to be true in my own life. There's been times where I feel distant from God and I know that I, I'm just not as connected to him as I should be. And if I'm honest, in a lot of those moments, I don't really feel like worshiping him. I don't feel like, you know, singing a worship song or reading my Bible or praying. I don't feel like talking about him. But what I've found that is if I'm willing to worship him anyways, that suddenly in that experience of worshiping him, whether it's through, through giving, whether it's through serving, whether it's through reading my Bible, whether it's through singing songs of praise, whether it's through praying or fasting, as I participate in these spiritual disciplines to worship him, I feel like suddenly, wow, I, I, I can sense his presence. In those moments, I can begin to see how he has been at work in my life, and it's revealed to me that, that he's actually alive and active. It's in my worship of him that I grow closer to him. And so the question, if you're feeling distant, is is there some way that you can glorify him to draw closer? This is true not just for those of us who are followers of Jesus, but for those who don't yet know him. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he did by rising from the grave so that your sin could be paid for, I would encourage you still to seek him. If you want to know what it looks like to experience God, just chase after him. Begin to, to look for the places where he is at work. Read his word to us. Read the Bible. Start to understand what he has done and what he says to us. Begin to ask questions of him. Talk to him. And I trust that as you do that, you will sense him being near you. Jesus has already gone to the cross for you. He's already come to meet you where you are. He just wants you to look to find him. The other incredible thing that happens, the other truth that we see is that as we glorify God, 
God works through that to bring others to him. We, we see here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. It's in our glorifying God and everything that we do that others take notice. That the Holy Spirit works through us to connect with others to bring himself even more glory. The glory of God is shown most evidently through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that news that we go out and share, that we live in response to, that other people get to, to hear about Jesus. They get to encounter Jesus through us. And through all that process, the Holy Spirit works in their lives to bring them to know him. When we worship God, we don't just get closer to him, but we become participants in God bringing himself to glory. Can you think of any better thing to do? Some of us, we, we go to work and, and we do the job because we got to get paid. But what if we went to work with this idea that we get to participate in bringing God's glory? That we get to be his instruments in that place to do what he wants to accomplish? I think that changes everything. What about as you go to school and, and, and you, you interact with your classmates? If you aren't just there to, to learn math or English or social studies, but you go to be an ambassador of Jesus, to share who he is, that makes school meaningful. It doesn't matter if you have a boring teacher. It doesn't matter if you're struggling in a subject because you are there to do something of eternal value. And as we do all of that, in whatever space or place we're in, what we will find is that we draw closer to God, that God will become more real to us, that we will experience more and more of him in our everyday, and that continues to change our lives. So church, we've got to grab a hold of this. We've got to step into this. Would we be a people who would glorify God, not just in our homes as we watch this sermon, not in our church as we gather here on Sunday, not in our community groups who gather. Would we glorify him in those places, but everywhere else that we go? Because God deserves it, and we need it, and so do others. So let's live for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you have done. God, we thank you that you are the creator who created the heavens and the earth. We thank you that you are a God who is active in our world and that you give us breath and life, that, that you give us more than just our basic needs, though, God. You, you meet our most significant needs. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you came to die on the cross, to, to go to the grave so that you could rise again, bringing us with you from death to life. God, I pray that we would be people who would not be blind to the realities in which we live. Would we not continue to live in darkness, but would we see the light? Lord God, would we recognize that you want to take us from being captives to being free with you? Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Would you lead us in every day, in every space, with every conversation that we have? Lord God, would everything we do with our bodies, would we bring you glory? God, you deserve it above everything else, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you will continue to do in us, through us, through others. God, we know that you don't need the glory, but God, you deserve it all. So would we be people who bring you what you deserve? God, 
May all the glory be to you because of your Son, in your powerful name, we pray. Amen.